The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 889 for Monday, September 13th, 2021. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We take all of those things. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We share some tips and cool stuff found of our own. The goal being that each of us, you, me, Mr. Braun, every one of us, we learn at least five new things every week when we get together. Sponsors for this episode include BB Edit uh, from barebones.com and Upstart. We're at upstart.com slash MGG. You can consolidate your debt and, and pull all that stuff together. We'll talk more in depth about each of those very shortly here. But for now, here, back here, although I think I was back here for the last episode too, right? Yeah, back here, and regardless of the temporal nature of my uh, uh, being here, I am here in Durham, New Hampshire, Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, no longer being overrun by drunken college students. This is John F. Braun. What happened to your drunken college students? Are they just less drunk? Um, well, they, they all decided to gather uh, gather down by the beach. There were like a thousand of them. Oh, oh, OK. Because, I mean, I'm sure uh, all the college seven students... calls for intoxication. So some. Yeah. Uh, well, they're learning to drink, I guess. Yeah. You know. Is that, but I mean, like that was just first weekend back to school kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But the thing is, you know, like you're not supposed to drink in public. They have oh, signs up all over the place and there were, you know, bottles and cans and cups all over the place. I mean, like, come on, clean up your mess. My guess is the majority of the students at college are also underage. So there are other laws preventing them oh, from drinking yeah. as well. But, you know, they're college students. I get it. I have two of them. So mm -hmm. and one of them is, is underage. So there you go. Mm. Uh... Yeah. All right. Uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, we have two <laughs> we have two bits of, of news. Number one is uh, we would love your help and you can have a little help in doing it. We are taking our long outdated uh, information uh, about this show and updating it. So we have put out a Mac Geek Up listener survey. The link is in the show notes. Uh, it's also on our Twitter feed. We there, there's obviously some things that are helpful for us to know just about you in general, but also we put some questions in there about the show and we really like th those are very important to us. So let us know what you think about the show. And uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to lead the witness or anything here other than to the survey. And then we'll let the survey sort of speak for itself. But um, make sure here's a pro tip. So we are giving away a many $50 Amazon gift cards for uh, people we're, we're drawing at one out of every hundred people that fills out the survey uh, will get an Amazon, a $50 Amazon gift card. So there's lots of them that we're giving out uh, a pro tip though. You will go to the survey via our link. You will then be asked the very first question. So I guess I am spoiling it a little bit. The very first question is what show sent you here? If you if the link doesn't match the show that you selected, then we know that it, like that it, like you wouldn't do that because you're listening to the show. You know, you like you click, you, you, you choose. OK, this is the show that selected us. 
the link gets out on, you know, various forms and, and people want to win that $50 thing. So the link and the answer to the question need to match in order for you to be eligible to win the survey. Right. So, or to win the, the $50 gift card, because otherwise it's just bogus, you know, information. And that's sort of our litmus test internally, too, to know whether is this data truly about that show or is it just somebody trying to fill out the survey? So uh, so do that for us, please, 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 please. OK. Uh, and then the second thing is Apple, as I'm sure everyone has heard. So this will be from the day the show comes out tomorrow. But uh, regard, I don't know when you're listening to this, because that's the beauty of it. So Tuesday, the 14th of September, Apple is having their California streaming event. And uh, we will be doing a reaction to that. We will be sharing our reactions to that uh, on a special Mac Geekab episode right after the event ends. So that will come out, presumably, barring any logistical hurdles, that will also come out on Tuesday. But you can you can join us at live.macgeekup.com whenever that is. In fact, you can go to live.macgeekup.com during the Apple event and chat with us and any other listeners who are there in our IRC room. We will not um, we will not be talking during that. That will just be uh you know, watch the Apple event, however you choose to watch it and then chat along with us. And then afterwards we will live stream our reactions, but we'll also record them because that's what we, that's what we do. All right. Um, and yes, I put a link to the Apple events page where you can add it to your calendar. If you really want to. Nice. Awesome. And I think it has a link to the event stream in the invite. So, okay. That's, that's handy. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right. So that's uh, that's all of the business that we have to talk about there, the logistics and all that good stuff. Donna brings us, you know, I, I always say this quick tip is my favorite. At the moment, this quick tip is my favorite. She forwarded us an email from the fine folks at iPhone Life. And she says, I didn't I, I can't believe I didn't know about this. And it is how to type numbers on an iPhone without leaving the ABC keyboard. And so, you know, if you want to type numbers on the iPhone, you got to tap the one, two, three in the corner and then tap the, you know, then you type your numbers and then you tap the, the, the ABC in the bottom and it brings you back to the ABC keyboard. However, what you can do, and it really helps if you use two hands, uh, you touch and hold the one, two, three button. And while you're holding it, the numbers keyboard appears. You tap the numbers you want, and then you let go of the one, two, three button, and you're back to the ABC keyboard. So it's all it and I, like explaining it. You, I'm sure you understand what I'm what I'm saying. At least I hope you do. Uh, it is much smoother than it sounds. Like I, I've been doing this since this tip came in, and it's like it, it's so smooth. So it's one of those things that if Apple has documented it, they haven't made it clear. So. Thank you for that, Donna. She says, uh, I'll throw on my own tip, which I use more than I ever expected. Uh, she says, but it's possible. I heard this on Mac Geekab, so forgive me if I'm sharing something that you already told me about. To get a degrees symbol, hold down the number zero, and after a pause, the degrees symbol appears as an option next to zero. And I think you also get like theta, which is, oh, no, you get theta if you hold down the O, uh, which is, a, you know, O or in some people's minds, a zero with a slash through it, I think. Right. 
Um, I, will, I will test that as we are as we are right here. So if I go and I hold down the zero, yeah, you just get degrees next to the zero. But if you hold down the O, then you get the theta, which is the O with a line through it. So, so there you go. All kinds of tips. Try holding down things on the phone, including the one two three button. Thank you for that, Donna. It's my favorite. Oh yeah, most other keys. Yeah, they're all kind of different. Like A, it gives you all the accented versions. I thought it would give me alpha, but it doesn't. Right. S does. Uh, what is that? So, in if you want to type, yeah, you're right. the The accented versions are there. That's correct. A a a, a separate tip on the Mac. If you want to do an accent over a character, the way you do it is you hold down Option E, and then type the character. That you would like that accent to sit on top of. Uh, hmm. And so if you want it to be an accent over a U, you would type option E and then release b- both of those keys. So an option is no longer being held down and then hit U and you will get it there. Uh, so but I don't think you can do it over like a P. No, you, you, because there is no character with an accent above the P. It needs to be like a character in the font. Um, or in the in the ASCII tree or something like that. I forget. In the character set. Let's just go with that. That'll be less inaccurate. Uh but yeah, yeah, fun stuff. So, you know. You can put you can put an umlaut over a U by hitting option U, but you can also put an umlaut over an O by hitting option U and then O. So, you know, all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Yeah, as uh, as Dr. Dream says in the chat room at IRC dot or at uh, sorry, at live.macgeekup.com. It is an IRC chat room, but the way to, the easiest way to get there is live.macgeekup.com. Uh, that uh, tap and hold is the number one tip appreciated by new users of iOS, according to uh, one of one listeners surveyed. So there you go. <laughs> All right. And uh, and he does point out that we need the ability to put and we don't have it that we need to put an, the ability to put an umlaut over the N so that we can properly type the name of the band. And of course, the movie Spinal Tap. They put the umlaut over the N. So <sighs> anyway. And we did something similar with the Cirque du Mac 11 logo. If uh, for those of you that want to go back and look at that. All right, that uh, that's because that one went to 11. Todd brings us our next quick tip and saves us from descending into Spinal Tap references, which we could do just for hours. Uh, I ditched my bedside alarm clock about a year ago in favor of using my Series 5 Apple Watch in nightstand mode. As you mentioned in episode 888, I have two additional tips. Once the watch is in nightstand mode, which is, as I as we said uh, last week, the watch is on charge on its side, crown facing up. Okay. Uh, tapping or nudging your nightstand. So simply making the watch move without even touching the watch will turn on the watch display so you can see what time it is. It's much easier than trying to tap the screen in the dark. Totally correct. And great tip. Uh, caution, he says, when the alarm is on and you want to snooze there, you will see two labels at the top of the display one underneath the crown which is for snooze and one underneath the button on the watch which is for stop however if you touch those labels they also will activate 
So if you happen to touch the stop label, it will stop your alarm and not snooze it. So uh, just be aware of that. I, I don't I don't even know. I guess I knew that the crown would snooze it because I'm sure I've seen it in my, you know, wake from slumber mode. But um, but I, I don't I don't ever remember seeing stop. But, um, but I yeah. So anyway, this is great. That's why we love quick tips is to point out the things that are obvious, but not to all of us. And that's sort of the key. So, it's beautiful. Any thoughts on that before we uh, move on to our final quick tip of the of this yep. episode? Okay. Ian shares a story related to, he says, I heard the quick tip from Tony on Mac Geekup 887 to use tell uh, with Siri for making it feel pers- personal when sending information over messages. He says, I enjoyed hearing your story, Dave, about setting a nickname for your wife to be current wife, which should be a caution or a quick tip on its own. Agreed. Uh, he says, my advice is test any nicknames before using in a public setting. At a work function, I decided to send a quick message to my wife by saying, Siri, tell my wife I will be getting home late. I was not aware I had multiple cards for my wife and my contacts when Siri happily responded, which wife? The room was silent enough to hear my embarrassment until Siri finished her sentence. Uh, Siri actually responded, which wife, Barbara or Barbara? So (laughs) after this experience, he says, I learned the value of contact management. And now I have a funny story to tell. Yeah, it is good to go through and clean up your contacts and, and contacts does make it easy to do to solve, especially Ian's problem where you can just highlight two or more contacts and then go, I believe to the contacts menu and choose merge, or maybe it's the card menu. Yeah. It's the card menu and you choose merge selected cards. So, uh, so bear that in mind. And it, it it does, it is handy once you've kind of gotten things organized, you know, as it is with anything in life. So, all right. Thank you, Ian. Good stuff. Um, all right. I had a chance, John, to check out something new from Kingston. It's their uh, Kingston Data Traveler Max flash drives. And these are uh, USB-C. They have a USB-C connector. It recedes inside the flash drive, which is kind of nice. Um, and they are, as they state, USB 3.2 Gen 2, which means that they uh, that the interface can run up to uh, 10 gigabits, which means up to a thousand megabytes per second. I tested uh, these. Uh, they have a one terabyte, a 512 and a 256 going from uh, 262, 262 U.S. dollars for the one terabyte down to 91 for the 256. And uh, I was able to get over 900 megabits megabytes sorry per second reads and over 800 megabytes per second right so very close to their claims of a thousand and nine hundred respectively so yeah it's super handy thing you know and it's funny it arrived the test unit arrived about i don't know an hour after i sent some data from my laptop we had some songs that we're mixing for uh we're putting out a new fling uh, ep and we've got some songs that we were mixing and i had them on the road with me so i could do some mixing and mastering uh you know while i wasn't home and so it was i don't know five or six gigs of data or something and over my wi-fi network wherever i happened to be with my laptop at the time it took i don't know seven minutes or something to blast these back to the imac here in the studio and uh and and the email came in that this was out for delivery, like while I was sitting there 
doing this. And it was like, you know, I should be smarter about this because I could just copy it over to this thing, bring it up, plug it into this iMac and, and I'm good to go. So these things are handy. Sneaker net still has its place in the world. And, uh, and I, I was proving it to myself at the, at that time. So, yeah. 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 I don't yet have a USB C flash drive. I oh. use, uh, I have two of these. I will send you one or, or if no. we get to see each other right. in October, I will bring you one. But I'm not sure we'll see each other. Well, you and I may choose to see each other in October. I'm not sure if Pepcom in October will happen in person. Right. But um, but maybe we should plan to see each other anyway. It's been too long. So Yeah, for those that are into photography, I, I saw this in my news feed. But um, there's a show that they have in New York um, at the Javits called Photo Plus. And they said this year... A few months ago, they said, oh, um, yeah, we're going to we're going to do it. And it's like, oh, um, OK. Uh, but the news just hit that they're going to back off. Yeah. Because of uh, events. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I um, I'm curious. I, I'm curious to see whether Photo Plus happens in person or not. Or, sorry, whether uh, Pepcom happens in person or not. It's it's like far enough. It's a month and a half away, month and six weeks away or something like that. Right. It's the 20, 20th. No, 28th. Something like that. Toward the end of October, whatever, whenever that might be. Yeah, they are doing Sorry. kind of a virtual thing or you probably. Oh, you linked to it already. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the October 28th. Right. So it's right before Halloween. Mm. So like it, it you know, it's, it might happen. I could see it. I could see it happening, but I could also see it not. Anyway, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll get this to you. I'll get this flash drive to you one way or another. Okay. Yeah. The mail works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is uh, while, while you were talking about what you were doing, um, moving things around, you said this term that I don't think many are familiar with, Dave, an EP. Oh, I, well, it's actually become a far more common term these days because so many bands are not bothering to release full length albums. Right. So EP is short for extended play. And mm -hmm. it used to be that you would get an EP on like a. Uh, an audio cassette, right? Like, you know, five songs, mm -hmm. four or five songs is, is generally like the length of a, of, of an EP. And that's become in the, in the digital world has, has surged in pot resurged in popularity. So people might actually know that term, uh, you know, because you know, bands, you don't have to wait until you can press an entire CD or that you have enough songs to press an entire CD. Just put together a collection and say, here, here's our, you know, fall 2021 EP. There you go. So, yeah. And um, and then there's an LP, <laughs> right? The LP. Well, that's what it was. Right. It is. The LP was the the other name. Long play for extended play uh, EP. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? What's next? Christopher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher. Good stuff. Um. Christopher brings us a cool stuff found that uh, that I'm surprised we have never mentioned. He says. Um, complimenting Mac Geek Gab is MacMost.com with Gary Rosenzweig and his YouTube channel. He says uh, he's posted a link to one of his uh, hundreds and hundreds of videos for us. So we'll, we'll just link to the whole thing there. Uh, he's, and he and I agree with Christopher here. Uh, Gary 
does fantastic how-to videos and and just instructional things. It it really is a compliment to what we do here, and and I I I believe that we are righting a wrong. I don't I, I don't think we've ever mentioned Gary or Mac most before, so uh, I'm glad to um, thank you, Christopher, for helping us with this. Uh, he says. What you'll appreciate about Gary is his to-the-point presentations. They're very informative, quick, and educational. Just like with MGG, you will definitely learn more about Apple devices, mainly Macs, when you view his videos. No BS, no long rambling presentations. You're in and out in minutes, rarely longer than 12 minutes. MacMost is the hug to Mac Geek Gab's kiss. Lots of Apple loving. Thank you for that, Christopher. And, uh, and thanks for sending that in. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. All right. Uh last i have another cool stuff found really it's a cool stuff found revisited it is the rapid x my charging station we talked about this when we first heard about it at i forget which of the you know online remote mm-hmm. event things it was but now i actually have one and it's pretty cool so the idea behind this thing it looks very unruly when you first see it right but it plugs into a two outlet uh you know wall plug and and takes over both of those outlets, but then passes both of them through. So your outlets remain usable by you for whatever you want. But in its uh, in its design, it grabs power. And so it has uh, it has a Qi charging slot for your phone that you can drop right in. And then on the top of it, it's got this flip down um place where you can store all kinds of things including an apple watch but also other phones or even tablets and it's got uh four usb ports and then also a 45 uh, four usb a ports i should say and then also a 45 watt usb c port for power delivery so you can do your laptop for me this is one of those things that i think would be perfect for an outlet that's not you know two feet off the floor if you've got one that's uh, next to, you know, your kitchen counter kind of thing where it's up and, and higher up where you can like see the things at eye level ish that are in this works really, really well. So, um, I want, I just wanted to mention it now that I've had some experience with it. Cause when I first saw it, it was like, well, I don't know, like, how would that actually work? But you know, sometimes you need to touch things. So I wanted to, wanted to revisit that. So, um, so anyway, there you go. Okay. 79 bucks. And, uh- yeah. Okay, that was my question. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not bad. No, that's the thing is like to do all of this stuff or even quite frankly, if you've got an outlet at your desk that's like this, that would be perfect because you could then plug in your laptop right there. And now, you know, the outlet's still free for whatever you want. So, yeah, it's 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 great. I could you know where I would love to see something like this is in a hotel. If hotels would just buy these and screw them into the outlets on the wall and then just let you use it, it'd be great. Could work next to the bed. Like, there's all kinds of options here. So, all right. Uh, yeah, that's what we got. Oh, uh, are we time to move on here, John? Is that right? Um, yeah, that sounds good. Okay. No, I was just looking at this. So it's not a battery. It's just a, it's a power power router station thing. yeah power, power router. station yeah it's a power station <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but it really is like it's you know mm-hmm. charge all your things right here so yeah um all right uh adam brings us to a follow-up from last week's show which we will use as a cool stuff found but we'll we'll dig a little deeper here he says uh last week you were talking about measuring the electricity used by dormant chargers uh he says uh I use a kilowatt electricity usage monitor 
to check the power draw of any of my uh, AC devices, the display will show you will show you volts, amps or watts. There are many devices like it, but uh, but this one is mine. So we'll put a link in the show notes to his uh, kilowatt, which is an Amazon link. And at the moment is 30 bucks. So it you know, it's got pass through and you're you know, you're good to go. So, yeah, thank you for that, uh, Adam. And then on that subject, John, we had quite a few follow-ups to our discussion about monitoring and measuring power usage. You want to share what Jeremy had to say? Indeed. Yeah. So Jeremy found something cool. Um, depending on the DVOM or digital voltmeter, um, <laughs> and I have one and I'll talk about it in a bit here. There are devices you can get to measure current without having to be in series called amp clamps. Here's one from Fluke, one of the big names in multimeter. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and the, you know, I followed up on this, Dave. So I looked at my multimeter, and in fact, it does have a setting for measuring AC current or DC current, but the units are milliamps. And looking further on it, mine says 200 milliamps max. So you're probably going to blow a fuse if you try to use a low-end digital multimeter to do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, also, and it's kind of dangerous, right? It, it's you know this now. This makes sense. The uh, and I, I, I did not use that word intentionally, but the uh, the thing that we had mentioned a, a few weeks ago, the sense s e n s e whole home power meter that connects to your electrical panel, uh, yeah. also uses these these amp clamps. Uh, it uses two of them to measure power and all of that stuff. I I have one. I need to. I, I need to get a new um, circuit, uh, like a third, I think a 20 amp uh, circuit to put in my power panel so that I can hook this whole thing up. But um, but I, I will be testing that sense thing and uh, I'm curious to report back. But, yeah, it uses amp clamps, too, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So um, and basically what it is, if you look at it, you you clamp. So, so you, you know, you squeeze it and then you put the wire in and then you, you release so it's basically surrounding the wire. I'm going to guess there's like some sort of coil in there that's measuring current flow. And then it has two of the little things that you plug into your multimeter. And what it does is it does a down conversion. So I think it's oh. a thousand to one. So uh, because the thing is, um, you don't want to display. Uh, like I said, a lot of digital multimeters don't aren't able to nice. measure a lot of current. So that's how they get around this with this particular device is they downscale it. So that's fascinating. Oh, I get it now. Right. Yeah. And the, there's a whole bunch of different ones. The ones he highlighted. So it's not cheap. I mean, it's definitely more expensive than a multimeter um, or maybe not if it's a good multimeter. But uh, yeah, about one hundred and forty bucks. Oh, OK. Yeah. All right. And it's uh, the one he pointed out, which we think to has uh, Amazon's choice. So okay. a lot of people like it, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Amazon likes it. Whether the people like it mm -hmm. or not is a whole other story, but Amazon. Yeah, it's got four and a half stars. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah, 225 ratings. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So it down converts it so it doesn't blow up your multimeter. I like this idea. This is good. All right. And then uh, Jim, a lot on the same subject, Jim sent along a note, uh, which I'm sure I will find here that links to a ZDNet article where they went through all of this measuring how much electricity 
uh, things used. And in their article, this was updated in February 2020. Um, so current, you know, current enough. Again, pun intended on that one. Uh, they said that um, the uh, where, where was the thing? They, they had a great little deal. He says, uh, according to my tests, a genuine Apple iPhone charger uses somewhere in the range of 135 watts of power a month. This is when sitting dormant, which equates to just over 1.5 kilowatts kilowatt hours per year, which means that if I lived in Hawaii, which is often used uh, because they have like the most expensive electricity. Like if you live in Hawaii, solar is probably one of those things that will pay off in like three years. It's crazy, right? Um, and so he says, which if I lived in Hawaii, that charger would cost 46 cents a year if I lived it, left it plugged in doing nothing. And uh, he says, I'd, if, if I decided this was way too much money and chose to move to Louisiana, where power is is um, much less expensive, he says, I'd save a quarter. So less than half uh, of of it would it would cost less than half. But, you know, you're talking not very much power. Uh, and then listener chip wrote in with sort of similar thoughts to this, um, where he says, uh, he says, I'm in Western North Carolina reporting on the power consumed by chargers, which do not have a load attached. He says, I happen to have a power meter. It's similar to the kilowatt that Adam mentioned. His is the pony PN 2000, which is five bucks cheaper, uh, today anyway, at Amazon than the kilowatt. Uh, and he says it's which measure, measures voltage, current and, of course, watts. It's supposed to be accurate to within a hundredth of a watt. I measured an Apple 20 watt charger and an anchor 20 watt GAN charger, uh, gallium nitride, and neither showed any power consumption on his meter, which means that any power consumed when not loaded must be under 10 milliwatts. I tested a device plugged into load, in this case, an iPhone 11 Pro Max, which hunted around uh, between 14 and 20 watts until it talked to the phone long enough for PD to negotiate and stabilize uh, at the right power level, which was typically between 19 and 20 watts. He says, uh, so, uh, yeah, not, yes, things draw a little bit of power. So to answer the question that came up two episodes ago, yes, things draw a little bit of power. Chargers draw a little bit of power when dormant, but probably not nearly enough for us to have even uh, spent the time talking about it, let alone you to spend time uh, digging in and, uh, and, and like unplugging them when they're not in use. I, I think unless you've got, you know, thousands of chargers and maybe in a, you know, in a large office building, maybe this starts to add up, but only maybe, I mean, even if you had thousands of these things, you're talking less than 500 bucks a year. If your office building is in Hawaii, that would be a thousand of them. I don't know if it's worth instituting policy to save, you know, $496 or $460 a year for an office building of a thousand people. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know what I mean? Like the, I mean, I think where you probably get a good break even is the, the, the price on led bulbs have like went down. And a lot of times they're actually subsidized by the state, at least in our state. Uh, right. So that has subsidized. just for everybody listening. This is Mr. John F. Braun out there in left field with very valuable information. This really has nothing to do with your chargers, but you're absolutely right that moving to LED bulbs is far uh, less power consumptive. Yeah. I mean, I 
the thing is, I was going to mention it last week and got, got distracted. It. Surprise. But um, yeah, I mean, that's one where I think you get a good bang for the buck in an LED bulb instead of incandescent or CFL because they explode. Or I've, I had one explode on me, actually. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I've, burned had, out. I've had CFLs explode. I mean, it, it, I, I prefer LEDs uh, in, in, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because they're plastic. Uh, and so if they drop, they don't tend to break. Um, but uh, the housings are generally plastic. Certainly they could be glass, but they don't have to be like CFLs would. Um, the uh, the um, the other nice thing about LEDs, I moved everything. And when we bought this house, I, I, I put all uh, compact fluorescence in CFLs and uh, and it was fine. But, you know, in the winter, especially if a room is cold or. It would take the bulb a good few minutes to get up to full brightness. And that's kind of, you know, that especially in the winter when things are sort of darker around here anyway, that that was sort of a drag. So moving to LEDs solved that problem. Now you, you turn on the lights and they're on. And it took us all, you know, a couple of weeks to get used to like walking into the kitchen and you turn on the light and it's like, oh, you know, it's full bright. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's different than yeah. I'm used to. But And of course, the other problem with the CFLs was that they had a. Uh, to do what they do, a small amount of mercury in them, so you couldn't just throw them in the trash. Though I'm sure people have. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, and, and even more dangerous when they break. Right now, you've just released mm-hmm. that small amount of mercury into the air and glass everywhere. And I don't know. I, maybe there were CFLs that had plastic housings. I I never had any of them. Mine were all glass housings. So, all right, uh, we have some questions from you. We even have some follow ups if we have time. Though I'm not convinced we will. The next thing I'd love to do, if uh, if it's all the same to you, Mr. Braun, is I would love to talk about our couple of sponsors for this episode. Me too. All right. Look, if you dread looking at your credit card statements, surprise, you're not alone, right? Debt can feel crippling, but our sponsor, Upstart, can help you on your path to financial freedom. And that's because Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan. And you get to do it all online, whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or even funding personal expenses. I don't know. Maybe you got something that you need to buy for your house or you need a new NAS or whatever, right? Over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. And here's the cool thing. Upstart knows that you're more than just your credit score and is expanding access to affordable credit because unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and your current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And you get to do it all with a five minute online rate check. You get to see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 and you can get your funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash MGG. That's upstart.com slash MGG. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based upon your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Again, go to upstart.com slash MGG and our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this episode. Next up is BB Edit 14. You know it. BB Edit 14 brings tons of new features, all kinds of changes and improvements with new significantly deep capabilities for developers and data scientists. But it also offers a lot of features for everybody who works with text. 
They've got some built-in support for additional languages, including R, Go, Rust, Tomal, Arduino, and uh, Pixar's USD, uh, and Lisp. And they've got a wide range of source code editing enhancements via built-in support for the language server protocol, including enhanced language-specific text completions, interactive help, and code navigation. This is something that needs to be seen to be understood. You really, it's so cool to have assistance with the language that you're writing in right there inside of BB edit and the language server protocol lets you do that. It's amazing. You got to check it out. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're developing stuff like that, they now have a note system in BB edit 14 that helps you avoid the clutter of all those untitled text documents. You know, you go into BB edit, you hit command N, you start typing some notes or whatever. And then you have a list of untitled 36, untitled 37, untitled 38 and so on gone. Now you get to use their note system, which actually names your notes after like the first line of them. Clever, huh? Really nice. And it coalesces them all into one spot. You've got to check this out. It's very, very cool. And you can download it for free to test it. Go to barebones.com. Download your free trial. You get all of the features for 30 days. Even if you've tested it before, now with 14, your test timer is reset. You get all the features for 30 days. And then uh, after 30 days, some of those features go away, but a lot of them, a lot of them stick around. So go download it, see how it works for you, see how you use it. And then maybe you'll wind up paying for it in uh, 30 days or maybe you won't, but you got to start going to barebones.com, download it, test it out. Our thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. It's time. It's question time, my friend. You want to take us to Brett? Um, yes, I hope I can guide Brett to a solution here. Fellow geeks, I have this intermittent issue that I'm curious what may be the cause. I'm running the latest Big Sur on a 2017 MacBook Pro. Randomly, when I click on an item in the window, the window relocates slash moves to the current cursor position. Example, I have Outlook open and I click on a message in the left column. The window moves down and to the left. Uh... Also, the top of the window is centered on the cursor. I can't seem to find what would cause this behavior. If there's some sort of key click combo that would reposition a window under the cursor, I feel like this is an accessibility item that is inadvertently being triggered. So I looked through the keyboard shortcuts and other accessibility settings, but nothing jumped out. I asked the coworker, and they also noticed this random behavior. Do you have any suggestions or ideas that may cause this random behavior? Um, I think I do, Dave. So I'm with you. I, I had the same thought. Um, that is probably something in accessibility. Um, though I think he may have looked in the wrong place. So, um, and just a little story here. One time I actually accidentally enabled something called mouse keys. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Here's how you enable it that I found out. I thought my keyboard was broken because what happened is I, I was fiddling with my keyboard, uh, cleaning it out or something like that. And, at some point, I think I pressed the option key five times. You know what that does? That enables mouse keys. What does mouse keys do? Do it takes it makes like a little keypad on your keyboard, and when you use when you do that, it moves the cursor. This isn't what ha- what is happening in his case, but I just wanted to share the story that you may have accidentally enabled something, um, yeah, an accessibility feature where I would look is the area where you may find this. And so you go to System Preferences, Accessibility, Pointer Control, 
and there's a number of options there. There's mouse and trackpad options, and then there's alternate control methods. I'm guessing something in alternate control methods may be enabled when you didn't intend it to be done. Huh. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. So I, I, I couldn't reproduce the problem, but I'm I'm pointing I I, I think your yeah. instinct is correct, is that it's something in accessibility that you have to undo. Yeah, I have seen this, too. Um, in fact, I, what he's describing is at least very similar, if not exactly the same thing as what I what you all heard me experience. Uh, I don't know, two weeks ago in the show, I said, John, where did you go? Are you st- I asked, can you still hear me? And the reason I asked was because my Chrome window, which is the one that we use for Melon, which is the app that we do our our VoIP call, but also the video call over had disappeared from where I thought I had left it or where I knew I had left it. And uh, and I found it all the way down at the bottom of my screen. And so I you know brought it up and obviously we were still connected because you could hear me and everything was fine. But I do see this happen occasionally where suddenly it's like my mouse is clicked down and things follow to my mouse. So I looked through my my settings here and I don't see anything that I have on. But. Um, but you know, it's like, I don't, there's nothing, none of my alternate pointer actions are on or anything like that. But, um, I I don't know it. I, I see it occasionally and I'm not, I, you're not alone, Brett, I guess is the best thing I can say, (laughs) which which you already knew because you had a coworker sort of see the same thing. But, uh, did Brett say whether he was using a like mouse mouse or a trackpad because i don't that was my thought too so both my logitech keyboards so i have third-party keyboard and third-party mouse and they both come with software so if you have a non-apple input device yeah check that software it may be you it may have enabled something unintentionally well, and I mean, I have a, I have a, it's actually a, it's a wired mouse. It's a Razer mouse, R-A-Z-E-R. I've had it for a decade. It was sent to me because it was some super hoopty high resolution gaming mouse or whatever. And it's just lived here in the studio. But um, it, it, you know, it's wired in. There is no special software on my Mac for it or anything, but it is a mouse. It is not a trackpad. And, uh, and so like maybe there's something to the just the the physical function of using a mouse that sometimes when you click you're moving at the same time and it follows it thinks that you meant to do a click and a drag when you really just meant to do a click. So with that in mind, maybe go to system preferences mouse and um I'm trying to think of is there a setting? I'm looking to see if there's a setting here. There's tracking speed, there's scrolling speed, and there's double click speed. I'm not sure which of these would 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 even matter for this. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there's a like a dragging speed. That's sort of the key. Yeah, mouse sensitivity, magic mouse gestures, make mouse and trackpad easier to use. So spring loading delay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I haven't been able to solve this. It does happen occasionally. And there were some jets that just went over my house, John. That 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 noise, if you heard it, well, that noise, if you're hearing it, is John. But uh, if there was a noise you heard while I was talking, it was uh, jets going over my house. There's a big air show at Pease uh, this weekend, and so the jets are all coming in. Yeah, I know. I'm really stoked. So um, I've already got our tickets. So fun stuff. 
Uh, hopefully that helps, Brent. I don't know that it does. I think all we offered was solidarity. Uh, you might want to try an app called Stay by Cordless Dog. Uh, and what Stay does is it puts your windows where you tell them to be. Now, that doesn't keep you from moving them, but it does allow you to store where you like them. And then you can uh, Stay basically uh, remembers where a window should be. And so when you relaunch that app or reopen that window, Wherever it happens to land, it repositions it to where you previously told it to go. But you can also just go to the little stay menu item and say, you know, restore the windows for this app to where I like to have them. So at least that lets you, uh, you know, like here in the studio, I've got two monitors, but it's really important for me to have things in exactly the right spot while I'm podcasting so that I know I can just click here and that's where this thing's going to be. And so stay really helps with that. And uh, and it may be able to help you. So maybe that's the answer is to use stay. Hopefully that hopefully there's there's some value in there somewhere. I don't know, man. <laughs> we feel you. Uh, listener Brian wrote in with a, an interesting one. And I love it when uh, when a guess actually works. So he says a quick question about the default email app settings in iOS. Uh, now that we can choose a third party app for our email. I have done so, and I chose the email, the Gmail app as my default email app. But when I click on an email address in Safari, it wants to reinstall and launch Apple's mail app. How do I fix this so it simply launches Gmail instead? So, yeah, good question. And the answer is, let it reinstall mail. That will set the setting to mail in uh you know in settings and default mail app and then you can go in there and set it to gmail and it will work something about there are times when it wants to see that default you know that apple app on your device and i know it's a pain in the neck if you don't use the apple app why have it there in the first place well this is maybe why you leave it there but just set your default to gmail and then it'll be fine so it's a silly little ui quirk i don't know if it still exists in ios 15 uh, because I use Apple's mail app. I have moved all of my um, devices over to the betas, John. I don't know if you've done mm -hmm. any of yours yet, but like my daily drivers, my phone, my watch are all on the latest betas and my uh, laptop, my M1 Air is on uh, Monterey. And I have to say, I mean, there are lots of things and we will talk about some of them uh, next week. I'm sure as, as we all prep to, to get into iOS 15 and, and probably Mac OS Monterey, but, my guess is iOS 15. We'll see first. Uh, we'll talk about some of the things that we found, but by and large, super smooth transitions, like the smoothest I've had in years. Uh, you know, I always move over about this time uh, so that we can have some experience here before you all get it. And we can guide you as to whether should you do it on day one? Should you not, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, this has been the smoothest. I, I forget that I'm running iOS 15. I mean, I see it because like the notification bubbles look a little bit different. Uh, but in terms of stability and, you know, battery life and all of those things that sort of matter at a fundamental level, it's been great. And the same on my laptop. Again, I, I forget that I'm running Monterey on it. I just, I, it is, I pick it up and I use it. Uh, and, and then I enjoy some of the new things in, in, uh, in Monterey. So highly at this point, I would say highly recommended. So, all right. Um, anything more, anything on that? John, before we move on to Stelios. John? Nope. 
Okay. Stelios, it is. Uh, he asks, I think this is going to be a geek challenge. I would love this. Is there a weather app for iPhone that can display the radar on my car's display while connected with CarPlay? It would be nice to drive and be able to check the radar without having to reach for my phone. Yes, absolutely. Armchair pilots would delight in this to see WX on our uh, on our phone screens. In fact, probably real pilots and, and maybe even people that don't even know that pilots like to look at stuff like this. I would love to have it. Um, I, in fact, I, I sort of do have it, John. There are no CarPlay weather apps, at least none that I've found. But there is my um, my Subaru Outback. It's a 2018, let's say, I think uh, it uh, it has it has CarPlay, but it also has some sort of built in Subaru apps, Starlink or I don't know, something. And one of the functions of that is uh, weather. It won't show me the radar on a map, but it will show me the weather either hourly or for the next three days or you know whatever it is. So I can at least get the weather on screen in my car. But um, but it would be really nice to have, you know, why can't I see like I, I would love to see. Honestly, I would love it overlaid on my map app because I want to see am I about to drive into a huge rainstorm for a long road trip? That could really matter. Like, oh, well, you know, should we stop for lunch if the storm is coming through? Like, that would be really handy to be able to see um, it. Obviously, Apple Maps doesn't have that. Google Maps doesn't have that. Um, I haven't used Waze in a while, but I'm nearly certain Waze doesn't have that. Huh. So I'm surprised there's not a way to do this because doesn't CarPlay basically extend a sub portion of your iOS apps to another screen? Isn't that what's happening? It essentially is a secondary screen for your phone, but only apps that write themselves for CarPlay will okay. access that screen. So like your weather app is not written for CarPlay, nor do I think it could be. I think this is an Apple limitation. I think Apple has decided mm. that weather apps can't be CarPlay apps. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, the Apple doesn't want to, they they don't want to be they don't want the the news to be like oh yeah you know yet another driver crashed and killed a pedestrian while <laughs> looking at the weather on their screen right like I mean I'm 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 sure there's some there's some you know scenario where that's been the decision I don't know what the decision is but I would love this if anybody knows about an app that that shows it it'd be great so yeah I would just like it like I said I would like it in my Maps app any of them yep <clears throat> and if you know of any. Um, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I like to say feedback at MacGeekGab.com because that's... Oh, you know what, Dave? I like saying feedback at MacGeekGab.com as well. <laughs> I agree. All right. Uh, Craig pointed out an interesting little anomaly that is correct. Uh, he sent us a screenshot of it on his Mac. He went into system preference preferences, he went into uh, his Apple ID and then looked at the list and sent us a, a screenshot of at least a portion of the list of devices on the left hand side of the screen. And he says, I just observed that I have a Roku uh, device listed there. He says, this is accurate. I use it occasionally um, and I have logged into the Apple TV plus app on my Roku. So I'm assuming that's why it's here. And uh, he says, but it's just interesting because I've never seen a non-Apple device on this list. So I went in to mine and I see uh, two TiVo stream 4Ks because 
those are some fantastic devices. If you need a device for your TV, that TiVo Stream 4K mm. is a, it's a great little, um, it, it, it's, you know, it's like a Roku or an Apple TV or anything else. It's, it's fairly inexpensive. I think it's less than 50 bucks. It might even be less than 40 now. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a streaming device. It has nothing to do with like TiVo as a DVR. It has everything to do with, you know, it's an Android TV device. However, it has TiVo's interface on it, which attempts to pull together all of the sources of the shows that you watch so that you can just it gives you a show centric view, not a platform centric view. So you don't have to know, oh, I got to go to Netflix for this. You just say, I want to watch the show. So it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a fun little product. Um, but anyway, uh, the TiVo Stream 4K, I've got two of those listed. I have my LG TV in the living room listed. I have an Xbox One listed. I have a Samsung TV listed, which tells me that even though I signed out of the Samsung TV in our Airbnb recently, the one that we had in Nashville, uh, Apple still wants to see it. And the other thing I noticed, John. So, yes, it's accurate that anything you log into Apple TV Plus with would show up in this list. So no worries. Okay. Yep. Um, but I also have two entries for the, uh, iMac here in the studio. And I'm assuming that's because, um, even though the serial number didn't change, whatever the, you know, UDID or UUID or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we talked about last week that caused me to have to, you know, re authenticate a bunch oh, of my apps. So right? it's still logged in. <laughs> well, it's just, it's showing as a device that was used recently, I suppose is, oh, okay. is what that is. Yeah. So but it's still right here. You know, I've got it right in front of me. So there's only one of them. But I did have a problem with like iTunes saying you've got too many devices lo- or app, whatever, Apple Music, whatever. It's too many devices logged in. It's like, no, can you stop that? <laughs> you know what I hate? I've got a bunch of extra iPads. And I, I know this is like first world problem, but I have a bunch of like old iPads that are almost useless, but they run the app that I use for our mixer, uh, the you know, the the audio mixer that we use for like live band gigs, you know, and it's great to have a bunch of extra iPads so I can hand out to bandmates or or whatever so they can mix their own monitors, their own in-ears or whatever. And uh, for whatever reason, every time I, I connect one of those devices to my Apple ID so that it can be backed up, it also connects itself to Apple Music, which I do not want. I am given no choice in this matter. Mm. And then oh, there's another jet going overhead. Then it um, it takes up a slot and you only get 10 slots in uh, in Apple Music for in that way. And, and then you can't like stream your own stuff. It's the iTunes match portion of Apple Music. So it's the iCloud music library, I guess, is the real issue. And it's a pain. You have to go in and try and sign yourself out and uh, hate it. Anyway, first world problems. If anybody, but if anybody knows, you know, feedback at MacGeekGab.com would be a great place to, uh, to tell us. <laughs> Okay. Hey, uh, perhaps a, a helpful answer here. Andrew sends in a question. He says, a while back, I wrote you folks about a very irritating issue with space on my internal SSD and on my 2018 Mac mini. Uh, basically, I couldn't do anything because the SSD was full. I resolved that by copying the mobile documents folder from my user home to an external drive and then deleting it to free up space. That opened the door to me being able to do what I needed to do. And in the process, I was able to familiarize myself with how to handle APFS volumes. So my question is, why did my mobile docs folder balloon to 256 gigs on my Mac mini? 
I am in. Am I incorrect in thinking that there would be only files in there that had not uploaded from a previous attempt at copying files to my iCloud drive? I have two terabytes of space in the cloud, so space there is not an issue. I surmise it has to do with syncing mobile docs uh, to iCloud. So, uh, your mobile docs folder will either have a full copy of your iCloud drive or it won't. And I realize that's a non-answer, but bear with me here. You get to choose. So go in back into system preferences, Apple ID, where we were for the last question. And then uh, next to iCloud drive, go to options and uh, you can choose what things from your iCloud drive are downloaded there. So that's one thing. And if you've got something that you know, you don't need, you can do that. Um, you also, uh, if you kind of uh, hit done on the option screen at the bottom of the page where you get to choose all of the things using iCloud. So you've got iCloud drive and photos and mail and contacts and all that stuff. There is a checkbox that you can choose optimize Mac storage. If you check that, then in theory, Mac OS will only store locally on your Mac the documents that it needs to store in order for you to do the work. Um, and it will be intelligent about this and, and try and keep things that it thinks you might want so that you have them at the ready, but it will jettison things that are taking up too much space that you're not using. So I would highly recommend checking that box. But if you want to really know what's using the space uh, inside your iCloud drive local folder on your Mac, uh, I would go to the terminal and issue a command and it's going to be a DU command. Um, and I will put this in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com, So you don't have to try and, and uh, understand it. I'm not even going to read the full command. The switches that we're going to use for the DU command are S and H. H gives it to us in a human readable format and S gives us the size, right? So we get to see how many gigabytes, megabytes, terabytes, any subfolder is using with the command that I've given here. And, uh, and it, 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 the end of it is the path to the mobile documents folder, which is just home library mobile documents. But, um, but if you copy and paste that command into your terminal, it will regurgitate and reiterate and, and recurse. There's the word I was looking for through all those subfolders. And, um, and then, and then, you know, give you a, a, an output that should show you which app's data is chewing up all that space. It's probably your desktop or your documents folder. folder That's going to be my guess. Um, if you have those stored in iCloud Drive. If not, well, then, you know, this, this will still answer the question. But it will perhaps be a more curious answer. I don't know. Um, finally... Um, if you look at the bottom of that screen, there's a handy little uh, graph <clears throat> that shows how much space various things are taking up and how much free space there is. And then there's a manage dot, dot, dot button. That will, that's one way for you to get a, a quick view of who's taking up what in the cloud. And you can typically, you know, so it'll show you how much data, like for example, here, photos is taking up 115 gigs. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. it shows some other things. Um, you may want to go through this area every now and then, because every now and then I'm surprised some, some apps will assume, oh yeah, you want to put this in iCloud, right? <laughs> right. Like, no, I don't. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But maybe you do. But maybe you do. Maybe they do. <laughs> I mean, it, the nice part about an app putting its data in iCloud is that you can access that app 
on another machine can access that data. Mm-hmm. So to have settings that sort of sync themselves across iCloud can be a handy thing. It can also be, you know, mm-hmm. pain in the neck. So, yeah. Good question, though. I love that kind of stuff. All right. Um, yeah, that's just Mr. Braun breathing into his microphone. Uh, that's not a jet at all. Don't the uh, Yeah, your gain is a little hotter today, or you're closer to your microphone today than usual, or something changed. I may be closer. Yeah, closer is not bad. Just just bear in mind not to you know exhale mm-hmm. into the uh, into the element. Um, let's see what we got here. Yeah, Kirit asks uh, a, a a decent little question. He says uh, in uh, MacGeekab eight eighty seven, you mentioned that you do all of the syncing of Dropbox, Google Drive, Box, etc. on your Synology disk station, and then just magically see them on your computer as a client. So there is only one thing syncing on your computer's end can you go through this one more time for us so that i can understand how this works absolutely so uh this this only matters for synology users if you are not yet a synology or if you're not a synology user not interested in becoming one i highly encourage you to use the chapter skip uh button in your podcast client we painstakingly go through and mark every question as a chapter so that you can skip around and skip back to or skip over things so yes uh now, on to the question. Uh, the first thing I use on the Synology is CloudSync. That is on my disk station, and that's sort of the engine that makes all of this possible. That syncs itself, a.k.a. my disk station, with all the various cloud services, Dropbox, uh, you know, you know, Box.net, and Google Drive. And the cool part is, if I happened to have two Dropbox accounts, I can sync both of them there, right? So it's it really does open up a lot of options. And so I... You you sync those and then you point them to, you know, a folder on your disk station that where you want it to sync. And the nice part is, at least from the Dropbox side, the cloud sync does not take up a client spot of the, the valuable three free client spots that you get. So that's also a nice thing. Uh, and then um, on my on my Mac, but also on the Synology I set up Synology Drive. It used to be called Cloud Station. Now it's called Synology Drive, and it's a much larger app that does a lot of different things. Um, using the Synology Drive admin console, I make sure I have desktop syncing enabled. And then once I do, I use the Synology Drive app on the Mac to tell it to sync specific folders on my Synology with specific folders on my Mac. And that's where I'm telling it, okay. Go, I put all of my cloud sync destination folders on my Synology in one place so that I can just sync that one folder to my Mac. And inside that folder, I have one called, you know, Dave's Dropbox and one called Dave's Google Drive and, you know, those sorts of things. So they're all just right there. And of course, Synology Drive lets you do selective syncing. So if there's one thing that, you know, a folder or a subfolder that you don't want synced down to your Mac, but you do want synced to your disk station, no problem. You just uncheck it. And just like with Dropbox, it you know, doesn't appear and all that good stuff. So um, that that's the that's the trick is is the combination of cloud sync to get that data onto your disk station and then Synology Drive to sync data on your disk station. It doesn't matter what it is to your computer and then you can pick and choose which stuff you want to do. Hopefully that sends you and anybody else interested in the right direction. So do you do anything of that sort, John yet? Or, uh, or aren't you using cloud sync yet? Um, no. Okay. Okay. No, I'm using, but you know, I use all the, you know, Dropbox, 
box I don't use, but I still use Dropbox, OneDrive. Yeah. And Synology's uh, solution. Well, you could you could quit all those other apps and just use Synology's if you if you oh, take this path. So, which is a handy yeah. thing, you know. It's nice. Yeah, not I, to I have just to... I got some free space from these other guys. So, well, that but that doesn't matter. That's the beauty. In fact, you, your free mm-hmm. space it, it you don't you don't use the app on your Mac. So let's say you get free space from for anybody that doesn't understand. Let's say you get free space from Dropbox, right? Because you do, and you're not using it, but you want to. And so now you sync, you never install the Dropbox app on your Mac. Mm-hmm. You go to cloud sync on your Synology and you sync that with Dropbox, right? So that will now sync mm-hmm. Dropbox to a folder on your disk station. And then because you're already using Synology's cloud sync or sorry, Synology drive, you just point that at the Dropbox folder on your disk station and now when you put something in the Dropbox folder that Synology Drive syncs, it will sync it to your disk station. And then from there, Cloud Sync takes over and syncs it to Dropbox and vice versa. If like, let's say you and I share stuff on a Dropbox folder, I put it in a Dropbox folder. It syncs to your disk station via Cloud Sync and then Synology Drive syncs it down to your Mac. So the beauty is you only ever have to configure your cloud syncing services in one place on your disk station. And then they are always on your Mac and you never have to worry about what apps and keeping them up to date. And do they conflict and do they use lots of CPU resources? Dropbox. And uh, you know, you can get all that crap (laughs) off of your Mac. No Dropbox's app is awful. It like it uses more CPU. It kept my fans running on, on my, you know, on my, when I had fans, Uh, it was awful. And so it was much better to, uh, to just let that happen over on the, on the disk station. So yeah, I, if, especially if you're the kind of person that likes to take advantage of the, you know, the little bits of free space that you get here and there from all of these cloud syncing services, this is the way to go. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. Cool. You want to take us to Nile? Uh, Nile has two. I'll take a whack at this one, Dave. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get all the forms to post a question. Is this a false alarm? See below. Also, here's don't, my don't worry about the form thing. Take take the second question. We don't have oh. time for the first. It's it's yeah, that's been dealt with. That's one of those. It's a single person issue. So go go to the second one. Oh, yep. All right. Um, I have a Mac Mini M1 running Big Sur and lots of hard drives. Doing video editing, I use Seagate Go Flex Drive cases and the SATA docking stations they sit on, so I can swap drives easily. I recently also bought a Sabrent EC-HD2B dual bay hard drive docking station so I can format naked hard drives and easily back them up. My issue is that when I format a drive using the docking station, the drive is then not recognized when I put it in a case and use the Go Flex base to try to use the drive. Similarly, if I format the drive in a case sitting on the Seagate docking plate, it will not be recognized if I put the drive into the Sabrent dock. And I get the pop-up asking if I, know in, if I want to initialize the drive. I thought perhaps for some reason the older Seagate Go Flex base might in, in some way not support APFS or large hard drives, but the issue persists when using three terabyte drives and wherever I use APFS, whether I use APFS or HFS plus formatting. Huh? <laughs> Interesting. Um, I don't know if I got a good one here, Dave. Um <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if one of the enclosures doesn't fully support APFS. I would check with each vendor and see if maybe they got a firmware upgrade. Um, 
So that's one guess. You know, just check that out. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of these uh, devices, not all of them, like I've never used either one of these, um, but sometimes they have, uh, it may come with a special app that will let you do manage it in some way, like maybe check for, for, for new firmware and stuff. So, huh. Interesting. But honestly, I've never had, I mean, you know, it should be a SATA interface, right? I mean, well, the GoFlex drives are, aren't they USB? Oh, right. Um, but no, I think, yeah, I think one of the devices, yeah, you, you, you plug it into an adapter, which ends, but, but the adapter is SATA and then the connection I think is correct. USB. Yeah. You're, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those GoFlex, I, I think those GoFlex, um, things have been discontinued, right? I mean, I think they're they're old. So I, I think your presumption that this might be a um this might be a you know a firmware of the of the unit issue, that's still really weird though. Um what I would do is find a drive that does work in that GoFlex unit and then open up disk utility and look at everything. Take a screenshot of what that drive looks like in the GoFlex, right? You, you know, and and see the formatting type, the partitioning type, the size, like all of that stuff, and then start comparing that to what the drive that doesn't work uh, looks like. And you're going to have to mount it in the Sabrent thing, right? Because that's the only way it mounts. And start comparing the two, so you can you can sort of dissect it and say, ah, okay, all of these other things are equal, but this one thing is different. So, and if is that, a, if that is a thing that you can change, like maybe the partition map type or something, um, then maybe that's it. Or it might be that drives of that size aren't supported by the GoFlex. Like that, that's a, that's a thing we've seen happen. So. I seem to remember two terabytes being a cutoff. Right. At some point. I mean, I know the GoFlex was originally sold as like one terabyte drive, so it's entirely possible that it's just not built to do what you're doing with it. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And to get an idea of the lay of the land here, when you do go into this utility, make sure you click on Show All Devices. Um, sometimes, if you start it up, it shows only volumes, but you want uh, Show All Devices will show you. Almost everything. Yeah, no, it. That, I agree with that. That it will show you most everything. Yep, yep. Uh, I thought there was something from the command line that shows you just a little bit more. There probably is. I mean, you can do um, d, d. Well, uh, there there is a command. I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Where I, I think it's a disk you till command that lets yeah, that, you that's what I thought. that lets you see the container you know i wonder if we take what we learned in a previous episode and go to the terminal and because i have it installed uh the tldr command i type dr tldr disk util does it have an answer for me yes uh disk util list will list all currently available disks disk util repair volume unmount disk and eject so i get four so what does disk util list tell me? Disk util list. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's gonna, it. That's it. TLDR to the rescue. I love it. I love it. Man, what a great command. 
if you haven't installed it, uh, brew installed TLDR. Of course, you need homebrew installed, but we'll put a link to homebrew in uh, in the, the thing. Homebrew and then uh, brew install TLDR. I know we just did that two episodes in a row, but man, that if there was ever anything worth mentioning twice, that's at least one of them. All right. We barely have enough time for this last one, but I will uh, I will make it quick because Andrew asks, do you know whether M1 Macs are capable of running boot camp or is that long gone now and users should use either parallels or VMware fusion? I thought boot camp was still possible, but evidently that may not be the fact. Yeah. Bootcamp is not currently and probably never will be possible on an M1. And that's uh, there's probably a million reasons for that. But the biggest reason is, you know, we're no longer running Intel chips. And that's what Bootcamp did is it let you run other Intel operating systems on your Mac as a native OS. That's essentially what what was going on there. So um, there is no more Bootcamp. Unfortunately, they're really while there still is parallels um it's not what you think because it's not yet an emulation engine it is simply a virtualization engine which means that you can run the arm version of windows under parallels but you cannot yet run the intel versions of windows and the arm version of windows is far less feature rich than the uh then the intel versions and then of course there's all the apps that you're not going to be able to run so if you need to run windows stuff the answer is get yourself an intel mac um i know that that parallels is is working to use rosetta 2 to and probably vmware fusion as well uh to, to leverage Ro- apple's rosetta 2 technology to do exactly what we would want it to do and emulate windows um i know we've seen demos of this but i don't think you and me as users can get our hands on that uh yet mm. someone will correct us if uh if i'm if i'm missing that particular boat so that's the uh that's my story and i'm sticking to it hopefully that helps andrew i i know it it doesn't it doesn't give you the answer you wanted but it gives you the answer you need and that's what um that's what we do here at mac geek gab so we'll give you the answers you need you got anything else you need to tell them, John? Huh. I think I'm still part of the Windows Insider program. Maybe I can get it that way. Get what that way? Uh, the, the, the M1, but I don't have anything to run it on. So The M1 well, version of Windows. Oh, yeah. You can, I mean, there's, all, there's tons of ways of getting that, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's the ARM version of Windows, not the M1 version. Right, right, right. Just to, so that listeners aren't confused. But also... It's uh, you. You still can't do it with boot camp, right? It's it's part right. of you. You're the path that you would need to take into that is using parallels, not some Windows Insider program. Uh, you would need. It, it, there's a very like hold your mouth just right and do it this way, and I, I don't even know that you and I get access to that yet. So um, yeah, it's it's right. still a work in progress. So yeah. Uh, and then Mac Vader, uh, while we're stepping out the door here, says, what about wine? Well, that also what is wine. Windows is not emulation, I think, is what it stands for, right? It, no, what it's it's a recursive. Um, uh, uh, oh, what's the what's the name of, of those types of words? Why can't it begins with an A? Anyway, the word itself is recursive because what it stands for is wine is not an emulator. 
Ah. Uh, because wine, wine was cool. It still is cool, but it only runs on Intel, so it wouldn't help on M1 because it's not an emulator. It's also it also doesn't require you to run Windows. It just let you run Windows some Windows apps without needing them to run inside Windows. It was actually a really cool kind of thing. Um, but it, it was called crossover, right? Wasn't there a, a commercial yes. version of it called crossover or something? But that, I mean, that that requires an Intel chip, so no, like, unfortunately, not going to happen. So, Yavol, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to go fill out that survey. That's the uh, that's our ask for this week. The link is in the show notes. But you know what? I'll link it to macgeekyub.com slash survey to make life easy for all of us here. So uh, I will do that for all of you and for all of us. So macgeekyub.com slash survey will get you there. We'd love it if you filled it out, and you really will. Uh, you now know the secret for how to make sure you qualify for that drawing because you really have to actually be answering the survey about uh, Mac Geekab. Or if, if you listen to other podcasts that are members of the Backbeat Media clan and they link you to their survey, uh, then you can answer on behalf of that podcast and, and then you qualify twice. So uh, we'd prefer that you didn't vote, you know, that you didn't answer for Mac Geekab multiple times because that would skew our results. And we've got some ways of filtering against that. But obviously, if you really want to cat and mouse us, you could. We'd prefer you didn't. But you can answer multiple times for multiple different Backbeat Media shows if you like. All righty. That's what I got. John, you got anything else? Um, it looks like there is a version of wine for the M1. <laughs> okay. What apps are available for that, though? Interesting. Uh, thing. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, Tom's Hardware has a little thing. Interesting. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wine 6.0. Right. Me? What would it run, though? Like, I mean, how many apps exist for ARM? Interesting. All right. Well, see, this is the this is the beauty of it. This is we love this. So, all right, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Maybe there's uh, maybe there are more answers here than uh, than we originally thought. Six for M one exists. See, this is why we love doing this show. We are but the stewards of this information. <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah, I'd like to see an app list for it. All right. Well. And they have. They've released Crossover 21, which is based on uh, Wine 6.0, so we'll have to check that out. All right. Well, this is very exciting. See? See? This is good. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our sponsors at um, com slash sponsors. is a great place because you see all the current sponsors, but even you get to see deals from older sponsors, too, which we'd love to be able to share to you. And make sure you go visit upstart.com slash mgg, as well as barebones.com for that. And now i got to go check out wine. I mean, it's almost lunchtime, so maybe you could have a glass of wine while you check out wine. I don't know. It's almost lunchtime for us. I don't know what time it is for you. John. Help bring some sense to all of this. Mm. Do you have any advice for us? Yes. Um, and to make sense of things, just make sure that you don't get caught. Made up.